everybody. It's Crystal Bell Salisbury, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. My name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today has been involved in pageantry for over 15 years. She has experience as a title holder, judge, coach, MC, and stage manager. Some of her former titles include National Miss Real Girls USA 2013 and 14, Miss Tri-State 2014, and Miss African American United 2017. She is the creator and editor of Crystal Clear Pageantry, a pageantry and lifestyle website designed to serve as your crystal clear source for all things pageant-related. And she is also the best-selling author of Manifest the Crown, A Crystal Clear Guide to Pageantry Success, and Affirm the Queen, 50 Affirmations that Empower Women and Girls for Success. Crystal Bell Salisbury, great to have you on, and welcome to Life After the Crown. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, I know that you kind of live in the coaching world, with, you know, and some of my recent guests have been coaches. Obviously, Shandy Fennessy just last week, uh, Danny Walker a few weeks before that. Now, you are someone who has literally made pageantry not only a hobby, uh, but, but like those women, a pursuit and now a full-time career. So can you tell us where all that started for you? My journey in pageantry started as a 17-year-old teenager. Um, I competed in my very first pageant at that time. And prior to that, my mom had tried to get me to do pageants, and I just absolutely refused because I did not think <laughs> I was a pageant girl didn't really feel like I had stage presence. I really didn't feel like I was pretty enough to compete. So I always turned her down. So around the time when I turned 17, I received some information in the mail for a pageant that was a part of this program called Miss Teen of America, which I think they have rebranded their name to American Pageants now. Mm -hmm. And they sent me some information about, you know, I was nominated to uh, compete in their state pageant, which is the state I live in is Alabama. And, and the reason why I was drawn to this particular system, because it wasn't your typical beauty pageant. They looked at things like your resume, your community service, your academics. They looked at the entire girl as opposed to just what you look like on stage. And of course, there is a stage component, but I like the fact that it was looking at the total girl. So I competed in that pageant when I was 17. And, you know, years later, I'm still in the industry. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got my start. And then as I competed, you know, of course, I learned even more valuable skills when it came to my communication, my interview, my, my self-confidence. Because early on, I did suffer with, you know, low self-esteem, dealt with some self-confidence issues, and pageantry really helped me in that arena. So once I decided to transition out of competing, I decided that I wanted to take the skills that I learned and to help others in pageantry. So that's how the coaching started. Uh, you had mentioned something in your story there that, you know, I hear a ton of women say. Uh, actually, I had uh, just... A couple of weeks back, uh, 2016 Miss America, Betty Maxwell said that mm -hmm. when her mother had mentioned pageants, she was like, 
Absolutely not. And I hear that so yeah. often that, you know, a lot of times the, the people that end up the, the biggest winners are the ones that were like that when they were first proposed with pageants. What changed your mind? Was it just the fact that, uh, you know, this new pageant system that you had been introduced to was about the whole woman? Or there had to be some sort of shift there that really set, because I mean, going from hell no to, okay, let's do it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a big jump. Let's be honest. And honestly, it was that letter in the mail that that shifted for me. Um, because prior to that, my mom tried to get me to compete and I was like, absolutely not. And the fact that this pageant was just different in my in my perspective. And then when I actually went there and just saw all the other girls there that they were just like me, you know, a lot of them were, you know, your everyday girl that wanted to do something different. And for me, I think with my mom, what she was trying to do, because I was sort of, I was sort of a, you know, teenager that was boxed into a certain lifestyle. Like I was all about my academics. I was all about reading my books. I was your typical nerd. So that's, <laughs> that was my life. You know, that's all I wanted to do. And I was perfectly okay doing that. But I guess she saw there was much more to Crystal than that. And of course, all those things are great and they really have benefited me in the long run. But, you know, I think it's important for, you know, girls, women to, you know, explore other things that's really going to help them in the long run. So I would say it was that receiving that letter in the mail. And I always tell people that letter changed my life. It really did. Well, and that's probably some great information for any pageant directors listening, that sometimes it's just putting that out there and letting the girls know that, hey, we're interested in you and, you know, that mm-hmm. we'd love to see you compete if it's something you'd be interested in. So good stuff there. Now, you have experience in literally, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, just about every facet of pageant life, title holder, judge, coach, MC, stage manager. And as I look at that, and you have gone through and experienced all those areas, I guess from your standpoint, how did that affect how you viewed pageants differently than maybe someone who has just been a contestant and that's it? It helped me in my view because when you're a contestant, you only see one side of things. You see the competition side. You're you're trying to get ready to present your best self on stage and interview. But, you know, from a coach, from a judge, from working, you know, behind the scenes, you see a, a totally different perspective. And you know there's much more to pageant just the day of. There's a lot of work that goes into putting on a production, whether it is a local pageant, state pageant, national pageant. And just, you know, working in different facets of it has made me a better just pageant professional in general because I've been able to tap into different arenas of the industry. What was the most surprising thing that you discovered? Okay, so obviously when you start in pageantry, you start as a contestant, but then after you mm-hmm. get to maybe a title holder stage and then you become a judge and then maybe an MC and then a stage manager, as you got to the other side of things from the non-contestant standpoint, what fi- what things did you find that were surprising to you or, or fascinating maybe uh, that you wouldn't have known just as a contestant? I guess what was more, what was surprising, I knew there was a lot of hard work that went into creating a pageant, but just the amount was very surprising. And some of the things as, you know, because I've worked, you know, I work on the staff of a national pageant and just some of the things that you have to deal with (laughs) from not only contestants, from parents, you know, from family members, you know, you know, things you have to deal with when it comes to them and making sure they understand um, what goes on in the pageant and, you know, making sure that, you know, everybody understands the rules. And sometimes, you you know, you may make people upset, even though that's not your intention. So you, you deal with a lot of personalities um, on the other end. Of course, you deal with personalities when you're competing as well, but you deal with even more personalities. And it can be overwhelming if you're not careful. But I look at it from this perspective. You can't make everybody happy. Things are going to happen. The girl, you know, 
certain girls may not win, and that's just how it happens. That's just how it goes. You can't please everybody, no doubt about you that. You just can't please everybody, and you see it more as you know. You know, even though I'm not, I've never been a director, but I worked on a, you know, like I said, a national pageant. You know, I still see it. So I see what they have to deal with, and sometimes, you know, it, it can be a thankless job. You know, they do so much, and a lot, and a lot of times the directors do that out of the goodness of their heart, and sometimes, you know, the appreciation is not always there. So you do see that sometimes, which is unfortunate. But as far as when it when it comes to the judge's perspective, I will say this, being a judge has made me a better coach. And I say that because from a judge, you're able to really look at each girl and really critique some of the things that they do well in, some things they can do better on. And some of the things that I look and I see different girls, I'm able to take into my coaching practice and implement as well. So I will say it's made me a better coach and made me to really pay attention to things a little bit more. Yeah, you said you worked on a, a kind of a, a national pageant, you know, with, with that mm-hmm. staff. And, and you obviously you've seen some of the drama that goes on, uh, you know, behind the scenes. I think one of the big ones that, you know, and I know a lot of them listen to this podcast is the parents. And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, as a parent, of course, you know, your, your little girl is the greatest thing in the world. And I understand that. I mean, I have a little girl and she's the greatest thing in the world to me. But I guess for the parents listening, what, what should they know ahead of time going in that, you know, they need to understand that, you know, we're not there to try and make their little girl, you know, feel like she's not the greatest in the world. What maybe should they understand from a, a staff or or a national pageant or even a state pageant standpoint um, that might make the process a little less dramatic for them? First and foremost, and this may sound very simplistic, but I just have to put it out there. There is only one crown. <laughs> and I think a lot of times <laughs> I just have to put that out there because I think they know it, but they don't really internalize it. And they have to understand there's only one crown and everybody cannot win. And for me, when I was competing, of course, I wanted to win the crown, wanted to win the sash. You want the accolades. That's all good and fine. However, you need to instill in your girl to know that that should be another reason why you're competing. For me, of course, if I don't win the crown, at least I develop self-esteem. At least I develop communication skills, develop self-confidence. There should be other reasons for competing other than win the crown, because if you don't win the crown, then what does that leave you? So I would tell parents to have that conversation with your daughter to see what are your goals when it comes to competing outside of the crown. Because if, if in, in the case you don't win the crown, then at least you walk away with something. You have written four books. Uh, one's called Manifest the Crown, uh, Affirm the Queen, Kingdom Finances, and Cash for the Crown. Now, that last one is super interesting because I think one of the biggest... <laughs> Uh, objections, I would call it in the pageant world, to competing is, is it just costs too much. I don't have enough money or I don't know where to get the money. And this book really talks about uh, teaching contestants ways to pay for their pageant expenses. Can you talk about it and maybe what it teaches? Absolutely. Time after time, I, I have girls come to me and I always ask them, what is the one thing you need when it comes to pageantry? And they always say, I need money. I need <laughs> ways to pay for this pageant. <laughs> and I get it because I've competed before and it, 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 it can be an expensive hobby. So I decided, you know what, since contestants are always coming to me with this question, with this concern, why not put it in a book and just give out the information to them in a clear and concise manner? And for me, when it comes to personal finance, I'm really big on personal finances. I'm really big on teaching women and girls how to spend wisely, get out of debt, have a budget, because at the end of the day, you want to live a legacy uh, for your children's children, and you want to make sure you're, you're living a financially sound life. And that can be regards with anything in every area of your life, even when it comes to pageantry. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in telling those who compete in pageantry, you don't want a pageant to follow you once it's over. 
Meaning if you charge everything to a credit card, even though the pageant is over, it's still there. So I'm a big believer in paying for things up front and finding innovative ways to pay for pageant expenses. And of course, you know, you have your traditional bake sales, car washes, um, raffles, those type of things, which are all grand. However, I look to look at it from a different perspective and do more out of the box things. And that's what I talk about in my book, Cash for the Crown. I give you some innovative ways to pay for your pageant. And I'll just talk about a few of them in the book. Um, one of the things that I've been able to do, not only um, in pageantry, but just in my life in general, when it comes to generating extra funds, is by becoming a brand ambassador. And what a brand ambassador is, is a person that is contracted or hired to promote a brand and to prevent uh, to uh, present the brand in a positive light. For example, I've worked on over 40 different activations. I've worked for brands such as Coca-Cola, M&M, Skittles, Hyundai, Nissan, Chevrolet, T-Mobile, Metro, you name it. <laughs> I work for several different campaigns. And the way it works is an agency, which is known as an experiential marketing agency or a staffing agency, will contract you out to um, represent that brand at different events like sporting events, fairs and festivals, store events, and you're contracted at a rate and the, the money is very lucrative. You can make anywhere between $500 and $1,000 a month just by doing events on the weekends. So that is really an innovative and yet a fun way to make money to pay for your pageants. Because a lot of times people don't want to get the second job because they think it's boring. They don't want to go work at the mall. But being a brand ambassador not only teaches you marketing skills, which is very good in pageantry, but it also gives you a way to make money and have fun doing it. Another good thing I like to tell people to do is to monetize your gifts. We all have gifts. Whether you're a makeup artist, you're a hairstylist, you bake great pies, you make jewelry, monetize that gift, you will be amazed what people will buy from you. And a lot of times our girls, our pageant girls are sitting on gifts that they just don't want to or don't know how to monetize. So I tell them, you know, if you have a craft, if you have a gift, put a price tag on it. People will buy, pay for it. I myself, I love makeup, but I don't know how to do it. So I pay for makeup artists to do my makeup when I do when I go to different events or if I compete in pageants. So just kind of thinking out of the box and just really finding ways to make that extra money. Because even though pageants are expensive, they can be paid for. It can be done without just charging everything to a credit card. Well, those are some really good. I, I've liked those. I, I've never heard some of those. And those are uh, some really good uh, ways to go about it. So thanks for sharing those. Um, you had mentioned oh, that one of the biggest things that they ask about is, you know, I need money. What are some of the other common questions uh, that you get from women when you coach them? You know, some of the the ones that you hear probably at least four or five times, if not more. Some of the other ones that people have mentioned to me before about you know, developing self-confidence, uh, finding support. A lot of times when you're on your pageant journey, everybody is not going to support you. So, you know, finding support is a big one. You know, developing that self-confidence to actually get on stage and actually to interview in front of an audience. And also just yesterday, I, I had a, um, a mother I was speaking with yesterday and she was asking me, well, what are some of the benefits of being in a pageant? Because I think a lot of times people have their preconceived notions about pageantry that it's just about the glitz and the glam and girls just parading around in evening gowns and that's all there is to it. And I kind of just kind of broke it down for her and she was kind of in shock because she had never heard it from that perspective. And I shared my story of how pageantry helped me develop my self-confidence, develop my communication skills. And it, actually, I've been able to network in the industry that I've been able to have doors open for me, not only on a personal basis, but on a professional basis as well. So those are some of the questions that I get. Now, we've had a ton of discussion recently uh, on the podcast on the state of pageants, you know, former Miss USA's, former Miss America's, uh, news anchors, national media people. 
And, uh, you know, we've been talking about what's right with them and, of course, you know, what's wrong with them and why ratings and enrollment have been down kind of nationwide. Um, as someone who mm-hmm. works in this space full time, obviously writes books, coaches, does a lot of different things. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on the state of pageantry right now and what you think. When it comes to the state of pageantry, I think there are things that do need to be improved. Um, I think we need to get back to the premise of why pageants were created and look at it from the perspective of, you know, these are women and girls who are our future leaders and we need to invest in them and to really develop them as a, as a person, whether, whether it comes to giving out scholarship money, whether it comes to developing their, you know, confidence, communication. So I just think we need to get back to the core principles of pageantry. And I will say with the, you know, things that are happening in pageantry right now, um, I think we've kind of gotten away from that. I think we're kind of scary a little bit and I'm, I'm hoping that it will turn around sooner rather than later. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, if they just get back to the core principles and about celebrating our women and girls and, and birthing future, gener- future generation of leaders, I think we will, we will be back on the right path. But I just need to get back to those core principles. When you talk to girls and even parents about competing, um, mm-hmm. I imagine there's some, uh, as you kind of mentioned earlier, some reservations about doing so. Um, what are the things that you're hearing these days about why they either could or shouldn't uh, compete and, you know, some of the, uh, I guess, objections that you have to overcome as a coach. One of the main objections I just talked about it was the money aspect. Um, a lot of them think that it just, it's just impossible for them, their daughter to compete because it costs so much money. And, and I explained that to them, explained to them that, you know, some pageants are more expensive than others, but there is a way that it can be done and it can be done very easily and effort, effortlessly if you do it the right way. Um, and also another thing is not knowing which pageant to compete in because all pageants are not created equal. Um, so I have to educate them on really doing your research and like going back to what are your reasons for competing. If your sole purpose is you want scholarship money, then maybe the Miss America system is for you. If your sole purpose is to develop, you know, self-confidence, um, you know, National American Miss may be for you. Um, so I just tell them to really do your research and what are your core reasons for competing. A lot of times they don't really know the reason to compete, like whether there are reasons for competing. I tell them just do some soul searching, see what do you feel like you need to get out of the industry. And for me, you know, it could be just, or, you know, I've had several reasons why I competed. Um, they may just want to do it for fun. And if that's the case, start with your local pageant system in your local town. There's plenty of local pageants. Another um, reservation that I get is a lot of parents think uh, pageants are all about the glitz and glam, the vanity side of it. And of course, I, I think that they may have seen it from a, from that perspective in the past, but I have to kind of educate them because I used to be like that. And I, I don't stone people because I used to think that way as well when I was younger because I thought it was all about the glitz and glam and pretty girls parading on stage. But I just have to educate them on there's a deeper meaning behind the crown. Yeah. And I think the truth of it is, I mean, look, the, the vanity part of it is in, in many ways the draw. I mean, you know, when somebody mm-hmm. sees it on television and sees the you know, wow, look at all that glamorous things they get to do on stage. I mean, yeah, I it's, 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 it's a draw for almost any young girl. So I get that part of it. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's that that's the perception, you know, it's like, that's all it mm-hmm. is. And, you know, the fact that, you know, you are, you, somebody like you is out there on the ground educating people on what, what the, the deeper meanings to it are and the things that you can benefit from it are uh, uh, fantastic. Um, kind of on that level, um, you have done some things um, outside of pageantry to help develop awareness, uh, in this case, uh, for endometriosis. 
Um, I know you mm-hmm. spend time educating others um, about that disease through your platform, which you called Code Yellow and Alert on Endometriosis. Um, can you talk about why endometriosis is so uh, close to you and, and why you've created this platform? Absolutely. Endometriosis is close to me because I have firsthand experience. I was diagnosed in 2008 with stage four level of endometriosis. And prior to that, I suffered in silence for years before I had a definitive diagnosis. Uh, went from doctor to doctor, um, trying to get you know, an answer to my condition because I was always sick. And just to educate the audience about endometriosis, endometriosis is a autoimmune disease that affects a woman's reproductive area. It, it's, uh, it affects their menstrual cycle. So it incre- creates an increase, an excruciating amount of pain during a woman's menstrual cycle. And it also is one of the leading causes of infertility. You have severe abdominal pain. Um, one thing about endometriosis, it, it doesn't just start start at the reproductive system. It can spread to areas of your lungs and also to the brain. There have been severe cases where it's, it spreads to the brain. And it just creates an uh, extreme amount of excruciating pain. Currently, there's no cure for the disease. There's only treatment. And the reason why I'm so passionate about educating just not just women and girls because it's primarily a female disorder, but men and, but men too because, you know, of course, they have wives, they have daughters, they have grandchildren. Um, is that because a lot of women just don't know because they, they're going through this, you know, pain daily, monthly, weekly, however, because some, some people deal with it daily, um, and they don't have an answer. And a lot of times they're being dismissed by doctors because a lot of doctors are not educated on the disease as well. And I actually had to see a specialist to really get diagnosed because your typical doctor can't diagnose you. You have to go to a specialist. So I feel like it's very important because a lot of women are walking around in silence and pain, and they don't know why they're in pain. And the purpose of the education is to just educate them on what the disease is, what the symptoms are. And if you have these symptoms, go seek the um, advice of a professional, whether it be your OBGYN, whether it be a, you know, your gynecologist, that can really help you to get the um, information and to get the treatment that you need. Because for me, I walked around suffering in silence for years before I had a diagnosis. Um, and had I, you know, had the proper diagnosis early on, I probably could have prevented, you know, years of pain and suffering. So when it comes to education, I try to educate, you know, via social media. That's a really good platform for me to educate. I speak at different workshops. I've actually been a part of the Endometriosis Association, which is the largest and oldest um, organization that caters to educating people about the disease. I participated in the um, National Endometriosis Awareness Walk. Um, for the, um, I participated in the uh, Atlanta walk a year ago, actually. So I just try to educate as much as I can. I've done proclamations for the state of Alabama, recognizing it, recognizing Endometriosis Awareness Month in the month of March. So just, I just try to really just educate people and get the, the message um, to the public at large because it's so important because a lot of women just don't know because they're just not being educated. And I just want to prevent women from suffering in silence as long as I have. Now, I don't know a lot about it being a male, but is it something uh-huh. that's, is this a genetic disease or is this something that preventative measures can be taken through nutrition, et cetera? Actually, there is no known cause. There are, there have been speculations that it, it, can, be, it can be genetic, that it can be environmental. So there's really no really, uh, known cause. There has been a link to uh, the chemical dioxin, which dioxin can be found in the environment. So that can be, dioxin has been known to cause endometriosis, but as in my case, I have no idea how I got it. Because there's, cause every woman is different, so there's really no direct link to how every woman gets it. So um, I will say this, changing my diet has helped. Because um, when it comes to the foods we eat, and you know, a lot of times we're not eating properly like we should. So I will say when it comes to maintaining your health, you know, watching your diet, eating diet, 
that's high in fiber has really helped me. Um, being active, I'm a runner. I do 5Ks, 10Ks. I've been running since 20, 2010, I think. So being active really helps minimize the symptoms of the disease. Because one thing about running is, um, of course, running releases endorphins. However, running helps to release the toxins out of your body. And the big thing with endometriosis, it feeds off of toxins. So anytime you're able to release those toxins with diet high in fiber, with being active running, it's very beneficial. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that, and I'm sorry you've had to go through it, but uh, it sounds like you're doing yeah. a, a very good job of just helping people to understand it and, uh, of course, be aware of it. So let's talk a little bit about your coaching. I know you coach um, in really three areas. So you've got pageantry, you've got self-esteem coaching, and then you coach uh, finances. Um, the mm-hmm. last one, that's a big one. I mean, that, that's an area that I <laughs> I guess I'd, I'd say 80% <laughs> of people struggle with today. They just they can't quite get it because they've been either – never educated on it or just not properly educated mm-hmm. on it and they struggle with debt. Absolutely. So talk about how people can come to you for one of those areas of coaching. Absolutely. You can actually find me on my website of www.crystalclearpageantry.com. And once you get on the website, on the main page, you'll see a link that says coaching. Just click on that and then they'll take you to another page to the coaching side of my business and you can go from there and send me a message. Um, like you, like you said earlier, I coach in three different areas, pageantry, self-esteem and finance, and you can just reach out to me that way. So let's say that I come to you for personal finance coaching. Um, maybe mm-hmm. walk me through the assessment phase of, you know, what, what do you try and figure out about somebody before you can really diagnose and help coach them through it? The first thing I, I ask a series of questions. And one of the first questions I ask them is what area of personal finance do you need help with the most? And a lot of times I may get questions about, I need to know how to do a budget. So we will start there or I need to help. I have so much debt. How do I start with paying off my debt or I need help with I try to see where their where their main area. But for me, I I from my personal experience, the main thing people need to start with is creating a budget. And I know people hate the dreaded B word <laughs> because they feel like a budget prevents them from going shopping and going on trips. And honestly, it's the action. It's the opposite. A budget keeps you disciplined. And I think that's the reason why a lot of I'm just going to talk for my, my generation, the millennials, because, you know, love the millennials. But we <laughs> we're out here living our best lives and going on all these trips and, you know, not living for tomorrow, which is not very smart, because at the end of the day, we're going to get older. <laughs> and I think we have this Peter Pan mentality that we're going to live in Neverland and never grow up and never age. And that's not the reality. You know, I'm 34 now. And um, I'm going to get older. You know, that's the reality. Um, and I think if millennials and just people in general would just realize you can't always just live for today. You have to think about tomorrow and your future generation. Um, so I would just coach them on how to create a budget and creating a budget is very easy. There are so many tools, free tools out there that will teach you how to create a budget. And one of the tools that I like to use is the every dollar budget that was created by Dave Ramsey. And I'm just going to backtrack. When it comes to Dave Ramsey, he was actually the person that I discovered in 2000, I want to say 2012, I took Financial Peace University, changed my whole perception on money. Changed my, absolutely changed my whole perception of money. Now, I wasn't just terribly bad before 2012, but there was room for improvement. You know, I, I wasn't spending like I should have been, you know, even though I wasn't balling out of control. However, there were some things I could have done better. And when I took Financial Peace University in 2012, it just changed my whole perspective about money and savings and budgeting and debt to the point that I drank the Kool-Aid and I went all in. I got out of bed at age 31. That's how serious I was. Because from that decision, I decided, you know what, I'm getting out of bed. So I pretty much, for 
I think, let's see how many years of it, four or five years of my life, I literally lived on nothing. I was going to work, you know, paying my bills and saving and paying off debt. Like, because I, I knew what I wanted my life to look like years down the road. So in order to really live like, you no, know, like Dave Ramsey says, you know what, sometimes you have to live like no one else. So one day you can live like no one else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to make those sacrifices early on. And it's, it's better if you make them when you're younger, because that way you have more time to, you know, play catch up. So for me, I just made a decision that enough was enough. I have to change my financial life. And those years of sacrifice have paid off. And of course, I'm still sacrificing, but I'm glad I'm able to say I've kicked that off my bucket list and I'm able to really start saving in other areas of my life. So to answer your question, I just try to diagnose them like, what is the area you need from, you need help in? And from my perspective, I think it's always the budget. A lot of times they don't have a budget. (laughs) So we have to get the budget in place first. And that's some incredible advice. I mean, look, for anybody listening, especially, you know, most of you are younger, you know, probably in your teens or 20s, maybe early 30s. If you carry debt into marriage and having kids, it's really hard to get out of it. It just is. And I, I just I, I got to be honest with you. If 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 you want to make the decision to get out of debt, it's now. It's not like, oh, I'll do it when I'm 35, 40. No, it, it will only get worse. You know, you'll have more things to do, more things to be responsible for. Um, right now, you're you're a one-man band, and you can get rid of it a lot easier than you would with other people uh, around you. So uh, great great advice there, Crystal. Thanks for sharing that. And I, and I will point this out. I'm glad you mentioned the whole marriage thing because I'm newly married. I, I will be married two years in September. Congratulations. And that was one of my – thank you. And that was one of the decisions I wanted to make. I wanted to get out of debt prior to marriage. And I will say this, that has, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> So if you're listening up and you're single, go ahead and get out of debt now. <laughs> well, and you know, that's one of the biggest reasons for divorce these days on, you know, when they do the, the statistics. I mean, money is at the center of a, a large majority of divorces. You know, it's those arguments mm-hmm. about finances and budget and not being able to have enough. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So it's time for the Crystal Bell Salisbury rapid fire get to know you questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Remember, these are totally fun. It's just 10 quick questions. <laughs> Just to get to know you a little bit. Okay, here we go. Number one, if you could buy any type of food right now, what would you buy? Oh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I hear that one I'm so crazy. much. I'm actually, I'm actually craving it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that one all the time. All right, number two, what color is your toothbrush? Wow. I <laughs> you think don't it's even green. Think about it. <laughs> I think it's green. <laughs> Number three, if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I would be a cat. Why? Because I love cats. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a truly an animal person, but if I did have a pet, it would be a cat because they just seem so independent. They're kind of laid back, and that's kind of my personality. Okay. Number four, what's one of the things on your bucket list? I want to walk the red carpet at a movie premiere. Number five, who is your favorite superhero? Storm from X-Men. <laughs> Number six, who do you admire the most? Wow, who do I admire the most? I would have to say my mom. Because, and the reason for that, because she, the, the woman I am today is because of her. And um, she's she just, I just feel like she's a super, super woman in, in her own right. She's been able to, you know, you know, raise kids, raise a family, and do all of it, you know, in my opinion, effortlessly and flawlessly. So I say, I'm, I'm my mom. Make sure she listens to this podcast so she can hear that. I will. <laughs> I know she'd appreciate that. All right, number seven, what is your favorite summer activity? 
really haven't done anything fun this summer, but I'm trying to. Like I swimming like going to or hiking and, fairs. I like going to fairs and festivals. I've been doing that a lot, like m- mostly for work. But I enjoy even when I'm out there working, going to different fairs and festivals, just being out in the sun, you know, out at these different events. That's been a good pastime of mine. Okay. Number eight: If a movie was made about your life, who would play you? I get this all the time, and they say I look like this person, but I don't see the resemblance. Probably Anika Noni Rose. She was she was the voice of Princess Tiana on The Princess okay. and the Frog. Yep. So I don't think she would probably she would be a good resemblance. I mean, she she seems very kind of easygoing, laid back, you know, from what I can tell. So I would say her. I know the name. I, I don't know the face. I'll have to look her up. But that's that's a, mm-hmm. that's a very good one. She okay. was on Dream the, the movie Dream Girls as well. She's one of the singers. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a long time since mm-hmm. I've seen that one. All right, number nine. If you could be any flavor of ice cream, which one would it be? To be honest, I don't even eat ice cream. Good for you. <laughs> Good. It probably doesn't help the endometriosis, does it? It does. I, I'm not a dairy. Yeah, I've, I've never been a dairy person, and I'm glad I haven't because it does. It doesn't help with the endometriosis. Okay, so you're not going to be a flavor. Very good. I'm. I'm, cool I'm not going to be answer. a flavor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number ten. When you were a kid, who was your favorite cartoon character? I would say Bugs Bunny. All right, very good. Well, you are mm-hmm. off the hook. Thanks for answering the questions. Thank you. <laughs> well, hey, this has been uh, really interesting to get to know about, you know, kind of your, your past and your coaching. And uh, I really appreciate you again sharing the uh, information and kind of the awareness about endometriosis. And I hope the, some people listening to the podcast will certainly be reaching out for you for, you know, one of the three, three areas that you're coaching in, pageantry, self-esteem, and personal finance. Um, love what you're doing. And, you know, as you mentioned, I hope pageantry definitely has a future and that they kind of turn this thing around. And uh, for your sake, uh, having a full-time career in it, uh, prayers are out there. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode and to Crystal Bell Salisbury for her time. Now, if you want to follow Crystal on social media, follow her on Instagram and Twitter at I am Crystal Bell and on Facebook and Pinterest at Crystal Clear Pageantry, or you can check out her website, crystalclearpageantry.com. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of 1 Peter 5, verses 8 to 10. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. Talk to you next week, everybody.